0: Cardinals all night long. We're going talk about the Cardinals all night long.
1: Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Your Usual. I'm your host, Andrew C70 the bat at C70 on Twitter with me, usually as Alan medlock but Alan at the last kind of at the last minute had a ch- change in the plans and wasn't able to join us tonight so coming out of the bullpen rested and ready is Alex Christopher you know him from Birds on the Black and at AlexCard79 on Twitter. Alex it is all as always good to hear from you.
0: Uh, well as always it's great to talk to you great to be on this podcast. I always fail at filling uh, Alan's shoes but I'm always happy to try and come back and, uh, you know, try again. So we'll see what happens. Or, uh, well, you know, again, even if you can't fill Allen's shoes, you're still ahead of me, so you're fine. Well, uh, well Allen strikes me as a guy who wears, like, size 15, so it's probably not the easiest thing to do. Anyway, very, true. I don't know. very true. I mean, he's, uh, he's not
1: somebody you want to mess with, pretty much, <laughs> all the <laughs> way around. So, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, the Cardinals, we really wish we were talking about Cardinal baseball right now, but um, af- very quickly were eliminated in the postseason. Um, Alex, it's and I know I think y'all talked about it maybe on Turps. I heard it maybe it was the Cardinals off day guys that were were mentioning it, but it's not much better than the coin flip game. It doesn't feel like this best of three.
0: No, it it felt like it was over in a flash. It felt like a the same duration as last year, that one game against the Dodgers Mm -hmm. in terms of getting excited about a playoff game and then all of a sudden it was over. I uh Daniel, I don't know if you saw the tweet or I think it was a tweet from Murphy's Bleachers, which is a which is a bar that's kind of like across the street from the uh bleachers, conveniently, um (laughs) at Wrigley Field, where they said something like, Hey, hey, look, the uh, the Cardinals play two more games in the Cubs, big whoop. Um, which, let me be clear, that's a perfectly good joke and a perfectly fair joke for a rival to make. And I don't want to go too deep on what is, in fact, just a joke. But I think what it shows, though, is how diminished the regular season does get, at least in my eyes, mm-hmm. with the more bloated the postseason gets. Do you agree with that? I mean, I it really understand. does really yeah. feel like, oh, big like 162 games don't mean anything if you happen to lose two in a row right off the bat. And I know you and I both reject that premise, but I don't know. And again, let me preface this by saying it was a it was a joke, a, a completely fair joke being <laughs> made by a bar. So <laughs> I don't know yeah. if I need to make too big of a point out of this, but I do think this is kind of a prevalent attitude. Among a lot of people, and I think it's because I don't blame people who feel that way, I blame the powers that be that kind of gave us this new system where the playoffs seem to usurp the regular season so much,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and we've talked about it, you know, every time this has come up, um, you know, it was. You know, adding the wild card team was a little bit okay. I didn't care much for that, but at least you were having, you know, five game series or something to start with. Um, adding then the second wild card and having that play in game, you know, like the Cardinals played in the playoffs last year, but you, I mean, it's almost like, did they really? You know, you played one game and um, it didn't do much in it. So, and I, I will
0: say last year, the Cardinals didn't win their division. And they played another team who didn't win their division. Now, mind you, they played another team who won. (laughs) How many games did they win last year? Like 105 games? Yeah, something like that. So that in and of itself might be its own flaw that we could discuss at another time, or I guess that might be why we have this new system now. But I, I think what I find somewhat distasteful is, you know, look, the Cardinals play, what is it? 76 games against teams within their own division. So almost 50% of their games against Mm -hmm. division mates. They win their division pretty easily and they're rewarded with, yeah, this sort of two game series. I I don't know, just, you know, 12 playoff teams with buys. It just doesn't, I just don't love it, but whatever.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, obviously we don't love it even more because of how the, how the Cardinals did this year. But even yeah, if the Cardinals won the world series this year, I don't think I would be all that excited. About, I mean, again, the Cardinals, you know, won in 2011 as a wildcard team, which was great, but I still never have warmed to the wildcard in part because, you know, it's people that didn't win anything in the regular season, getting a chance to, you know, continue
0: to play. What you're saying is, you're not saying you wouldn't be excited had the Cardinals won the World Series. You're saying you still wouldn't love the format,
1: right? Right. right oh, right. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty
0: yeah. of 2011.
1: Hey, you yeah. Know, absolutely. The same stuff, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't know that it's typically hypocritical to to say that. Uh, hypocritical to say that. It's like this is a system they have. And if this is a system they have, we want the Cardinals to do the best they can in the system that they have to deal with. But it's not the best system they could have. Um, I think that's fair, but you know, again, you know, what are they going to, and I, I know you're not saying this and I know, but I saw some people, you know, it's like, you know, the Cardinals won their division and, and then they have to play in the first round. It's like, but you can't give three buys. I mean, that's just unworkable. Um, so, if you're going to do this, which again, questionable, if they should, I guess this is the only way. And I mean, the Mets might've had even a, a worse case, right? They did win hundred games and <laughs> face the same problem that the Cardinals did.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I, the problem in, in my opinion is just the, the extra team, but right. I, I think it also, what I notice is it sort of led to a lot of really dramatic opinions that I think are a product of this playoff system. And and here's what I mean. Like I saw after the Cardinals lost on Saturday night and were eliminated, a lot Mm -hmm. of people just saying like, I'm I'm so upset at this team for ruining like Yachty's and, you know, Pujols's like last at-bats, their Mm -hmm. last hurrah. And like, you know, as well as I do, like Ozzie Smith took his last at bat. In when they were down what 15 nothing? You know, against, like that. Yeah. Against yeah. The Braves. Stan Muggel took his last at bat. Correct me if I'm wrong, nowhere near the postseason. Uh right. Bob Gibson threw his last pitch. Team was nowhere near the postseason. Uh, my point being, that is baseball. You are not fairy tale endings just do not happen very often in sports, especially baseball. So this idea that somehow they deserved were robbed of some moment that should have been theirs i I thoroughly reject and I again I think is a product of this weighted emphasis we put on the playoffs versus the regular season which again I don't blame people who feel that way I blame the I blame the system but that what happened I guess is what I'm saying in those two games does not cancel out how, uh, wonderful that regular season was with regard to especially Pujols. Uh, and, and there were, it was not a perfect regular season. It was not like 2004 where you just felt this team was going to no. crush whoever was in front of them, uh, you know, especially the first half. There was a lot of hair pulling, and it felt like a lot like the first half of last season. Uh, so it was frustrating at times. but But the highs were so high. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's hard sure. to get much higher than that in a regular season. And and whatever happened in the postseason does not diminish it one iota, in my opinion. And it felt like people were acting like it did. Yeah. And that's,
1: of course, some of that's heat of the moment. Some of that's the mentality of people online and, and things of that nature. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the 22, 2022 season was a like a delicious cake and if they had won the postseason that would have been a really awesome frosting on top of it um but even if without frosting it was a really really good cake you know um i agree i mean you're gonna be unless they won the world series and and again i it would have been perfect for them to have done that it would have been storybook um and and i get that but unless they had done that, if they had lost in, if they had lost to the Braves in this round or something like that, it was still going to be a disappointment. And you were still going to wind up just remembering the highlights of Pujols and Yachty and, you know, all the stuff that went along with his season more than the postseason anyway. So, you know, only one team wins this thing. The Cardinals were not anywhere close to a favorite like they were in 04, like you were saying. So, yeah, I it, again, it's frustrating but it's frustrating the fact that two games, uh, you know, and how many how many times they lost two games in a row during the regular season um are just they lost them in October and that's it. Yeah. Um so I you know, I, I agree. I you'd like to you'd like to have a little bit more reason to it. And, and in the heat of the moment it is frustrating because when you watch Paul Gold'sfit striking out with runners on in a, in a close game, or when you see, you know, a lead just melt away in that first game, it's hard not to get upset with what could have been, what, what really should have been given the way this team has played. Um, but hopefully as people step back, you know, now we're three or four days away from, from that loss that, they're starting to understand that, Hey, this, this really still was a good season.
0: It just hit a skid at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I I think criticisms of Paul Goldschmidt, uh, within reason, you know, Mm. without naming any names, I think we saw one this past week that was not really within reason or certainly, (laughs) certainly kind of a cheap shot. Um, right. But criticism of, criticisms of Paul Goldschmidt, uh, not just in the in that series, but but kind of the last couple of weeks, uh, but but especially during that series, very fair. I mean, I mean that was a horrible at bat that he took uh, in the eighth inning. I believe that was at the eighth inning that I, that I'm thinking I think of. So. That?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, seventh or eighth. Yeah,
0: basically swung out a ball that was ball four looked like kind of out of his hand. Um, mm-hmm. And and on top of just looking kind of terrible throughout that at bat and pretty much throughout the, the couple of games. Um, and I think we also need to prepare ourselves that, you know, he's going to be entering his age 35 season. There's right. a very good chance we just saw the best that we were going to see of Paul Goldschmidt, which doesn't mean we're going to see bad Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, gosh, I hope, this, I hope this isn't like something where we're looking back two years from now and being like, what happened in, 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 <laughs> in September to Paul Goldschmidt that he was never quite the same or something like that. Right. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think, you know, and doesn't take a, you know, the the, the <laughs> smartest guy at baseball prospectus to figure out that when a guy's entering his age 35 season, that he's probably not going to be at the top of his game. So that's something we need to prepare for anyway. It was almost like him being so good in the first five months of the season uh, kind of set him up to be a punching bag when all of a sudden he went through a slump that just happened to coincide with the postseason, which was obviously very unfortunate. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, you're right. And I think
1: we also should be, realizing that there was a really good chance we would never see this Paul Goldschmidt in St. Louis, right? I mean, when they traded for him, he was already starting to hit that, you know, mid prime thing. So he should have been starting to slide anyway. And he's, he's been good in St. Louis obviously, but not necessarily to the Arizona levels that we thought maybe he would get. So to see even five months of this is a good sign or is a good thing, you know, that we might not have gotten, Yeah, I think all of us would trade, you know, his April for his October and wish we had had that slow start um, narrative for a while instead of the slow finish. But, you know, you're right. You've got to enjoy what we had there. A guy that was at the end of August, really, really, really close to being a triple crown type of guy. Um, And they're they're not where they were without him. Um, So... It, it's, it's frustrating that he hits the skids at the wrong time, but yeah, you can't just, I don't think you go write him off or anything.
0: Do you think there's anything to the idea that starting, I guess you can start this in 2015 when they lost to the Cubs in the uh, NLDS and then didn't make the playoffs for several years, mm-hmm. uh, went back in 2019 and, you know, won that just kind of very bizarre series with the Braves, uh, fun series, but just a weird series kind of <laughs> looking back right. on it. Um, <laughs> and, and then kind of a couple of flame outs, 2020 was weird because of COVID uh, and the playoff format. And then last year, my question being, do you think there's anything to this idea that this team is not quite built for playoff baseball like it used to be you know this team mm-hmm. used to live in the nlcs and now they've been there i guess once in the last nine seasons yeah. even though they've have uh what five playoff seasons in that span i right. you
1: know i was listening to ben and ben a little bit today and um you know they kind of touched on this and this idea that you know it's not a representative sample it's you know it's very and it's a lot of different teams so I get that and I think there's a lot of merit to that but I also think that there is some idea that maybe the structural you know integrity of of how the Cardinals are putting together teams needs to be revisited and I think we've talked about this a lot of people have talked about this over the winners right that a lot of times they're aiming at the 90-91 win range and get in and hope something happens. But especially with these expanded playoffs, I, I feel like it's to the point where you really want to aim for 95, 96 wins instead and see if you can't get a buy or at least be a team that's, you know, strong enough to put that kind of wins together. Um, and, you know, again, uh, next year, they don't get all those games against the NL central, right? I mean, they have fewer games because of the way the schedule is going to be written. So, they're going to have to step up somewhere because they're not going to be able to play the Pirates and the Cubs and the Reds quite as much. And, you know, if that means they have to revamp their processes, then that's what they should do.
0: Well, two things completely unrelated from one another. Um, I will say, even though I spent, we spent a decent amount of time bashing this new playoff format, it mm-hmm. is kind of a nice touch. the uh, The team with the better record, the division winner, having the home field. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do I I do like that. I, obviously, it would be pretty obnoxious to you know have a travel day in there. <laughs> so you obviously you're <laughs> not gonna do that. So and and whether or not it gives the home team an advantage, I don't know, but it's certainly nice for the fans to be able to at least be awarded with that. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, the second thing. I was gonna say, is would we have wanted to play the Cubs nineteen times next year? I think I saw a stat that they were, they had the best record in the second half for all teams for for any team that didn't make the postseason. I think they were like thirty nine and thirty one or something. Um, yeah, I'm curious if this is gonna carry over. If uh, I I can't pretend I did a deep dive into what was under the hood of the Cubs. Um, in the second half, I, I certainly paid attention to them a little bit, especially when they were playing the Cardinals, but they do seem like they could be in a position to win, especially if the team actually does spend a little bit this offseason. So I don't know, maybe not playing them so many times will not necessarily be that bad. Um, that said, please, I want to play the Pirates and Reds as much as possible. Right, right.
1: Yeah, the Cubs are be interesting. I think they will have to spend this off season. I mean, because and that's questionable whether they're going to. Right? It feels like Wilson Contreras is already on his way out. Um, perhaps if 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 the rumor mill was accurate, he's on his way to St. Louis. I don't know how accurate the rumor mill is. Um, and then you know, Ian Happ, who always kills the Cardinals, is a free agent. You know, if they let those kind of guys go. but you're right. I think they're the team that's most likely to make a step up next year. Um, So, and you, you, you get a chance to play. Well, I'd like to say Baltimore, but Baltimore is actually good now. And, but some of the weaker teams in the American league that you don't actually get to see that often, you'll get to see some of them just not as regularly. So maybe you make it up a little bit there, but I just, I feel like with the new schedule, with the new playoff format, the Cardinals need to be in a position where they at least feel like they can win 95 wins or so. Um, you know, obviously plans don't happen, and things people get hurt or, or whatever. But you know, if you can put the talent together to, you know, feel like that, um, you know, maybe even you know, maybe if you've got a team that Pacheco thinks is going to be 500. In the, you know, before the season, then you're probably going to win the World Series.
0: <laughs> and that's what's funny about me hating this playoff format is because as a as Ben Godar has said, you know, the Cardinals are designed in a lab, I think mm-hmm. is his expression, to win eighty-eight games, which means the Cardinals are the exact team that would benefit the most from this sort of playoff format, and at least in terms of making the playoffs. Now, right. whether or not this makes them change their calculus to say, Hey, you know what? That wasn't very cool winning the division and still not really feeling like you were actually in the playoffs, which is kind of what it felt like. So mm-hmm. it's really important that we're one of the two best teams in the national league, or at least competing for that. Uh, Because there was no realistic point once it became clear that the Cardinals were going to win the NL central, that they were going to catch either. Well, I mean, at at the time it was the Mets um, that they were going to leapfrog both the Mets and the Braves. um, Right. Like like that never once, I, I think did we ever even climb within five games of either of those teams?
1: I think they were within five, maybe early on in September. And I know that Ollie Marmol liked to say, you know, where that's what we're focused on. But I, it was re- it was going to take like 2011 kind of collapse from the Mets or the Braves to to pass them. I think most recently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, from from both of them, right. Right. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we would have had to, to to jump both of them. And so, I, yeah, yeah, so maybe this will make them want to say, like, we want to have a team that's going to be competing for one of those two spots, uh, which which didn't feel like the case this year. And, and frankly, mm-hmm. on paper, I don't think they had the I, – I don't think you look at the Cardinals roster on paper and say that's one of the two best teams in the National League. You say that's, no. that's a good team, and they were a very good team, but – Obviously, I mean, the Dodgers are like a completely different beast. I admire and hate them so much because of it. <laughs> um, so it's they're almost hard to even it's almost hard to compare yourselves to them. But you uh, and the Braves, you know, are are in position now. You know, they have all these young guys locked up and they're going right. to be very good for the next couple of years. It's, it might be hard for the Cardinals to kind of push their way into that into that territory. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see if they think this pitching can be enough or if they think they need to do something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and
1: you know, we haven't had a chance to see how this pl- this postseason thing is going to play out either. I mean, we're still watching it now and it really takes two or three years probably for somebody to really understand that. Okay. Teams that have to play that first round, you know, don't make it to the World Series or, you know, or the bye is a good or bad thing. I mean, the first day it looked like the bye was going to be a problem for some of these teams, and it doesn't seem to be that case now. But, um, you know, still trying to figure out what this new system is going to look like. But yeah, I just, and again, I, I don't know that the Cardinals are going to do much anything they may feel like. You know, if they can aim for 90 and, you know, maybe they'll overshoot sh- it every once in a while or, you know, some other teams will start getting beating up on each other or what the case may be. I don't know that it changes their calculus because I don't know, you know, and we've talked about how the Cardinals go about stuff a lot. I don't know that anything really changes their calculus, right? I mean, we know that, you know, like the Cubs making a move doesn't mean that they feel like they have to make a move. You know, they they have how they do things. And for the most part, it's successful. Like you say, you'd rather have a, a good, strong, regular season every year and chances in the playoffs than the, you know, like the Boston Red Sox who are up and down seemingly every year. Um, But I I do think that some of this stuff has to start, has to start factoring in because, you know, Derek Gould is, is good about pointing out that the Dodgers are what within one world series of tying the Cardinals for the most of the national league. Um, that's something that I think they have to take some pride in. And if you want to be able to, you know, keep that, you're going to have to win the world series here and there. And that means you have to put a team together.
0: that can do it. Wait, so make, are you talking about making like world series appearances or actual no, titles? Series? Because okay. Cardinals
1: have 11. And I think the Dodgers now after winning 20 have 10, do they Maybe really? I, I may. They may have. It's a nine or ten. It, um,
0: if you're a Dodgers fan, do you feel? Do you still feel a little incomplete that your World Series took place during 2020, a, a 60 game regular season? Now, now, granted, if I recall, they had an amazing record over those 60 games, and we know yeah. like we know that they're awesome. That it's not like they were only good that year and then the very next season, you know, were, were terrible again. So like, they just happened to, you know, be good over 60 games, which can happen in baseball. Uh, but if I'm a Dodgers fan, I think to have like complete closure, I would want with this era, I would want a world series title after 162 game regular season. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's true. First, first of all, I was wrong. They are, They have only seven
0: World Series. That's okay. That's what I thought. Because, like, the A's and the uh, A's and Red Sox, I think, have eight.
1: Maybe. Um, And they have nine. Let's see. They already have more in National League pennants than the Cardinals. They have 24 to the Cardinals, 19. Um, So, yeah, there's still a little bit of gap. But, I mean, if you were to guess, you know, would you say the Dodgers are going to win four World Series between, between now and when the Cardinals win one? That feels <laughs> like a lot, but I don't think I would rule it out the way the Dodgers were. I mean, they're putting together hundred win teams. But, but to answer your question before we get too far off target, I, I think Dodger fans take that win, take that series, and they would probably defend it with their lives, uh, just like we would have defended it quite a oh, bit. Oh, absolutely. As they, they should. As they should. But in the back of their heads, I, you're right. I think they want to win a regular a regular one, if you will, uh, a full season of real playoffs and not have that kind of asterisk next to it. Um, because, I mean, you know, when, when you go from 1988 to 2020, you take whatever you can get. But I, I think now that they've got that, they're like, let's get a
0: real one and people won't be arguing with us as much. Yeah, you could almost compare it to the Cardinals going from nineteen eighty two to two thousand six, and mm-hmm. I'm sure, uh, like you, I, I was just so happy when they finally won in two thousand six mm-hmm. after so many near misses. Right. But two thousand eleven really, I guess, was uh, kind of the icing on top because I never no longer had to hear about like the eighty three. You know, your only your team mm-hmm. only won eighty three wins. This is a farce. Right. Um, right. So so that was nice. And I could see the Dodgers feeling the same way if they won 162 games, if they won a World Series after 162-game season, but it certainly doesn't diminish um, what they did in 2020.
1: No, no. They they were definitely the best team there, and they've honestly been the best team a number of years. They just haven't necessarily planned out in the playoffs, which is, again, kind of goes back to the t- discussion we've had to start this thing. I mean, and I don't think anybody's advocating to go back to you know, American league winner and a National League winner. And that's all yes. that makes it to the playoffs. I, I don't think we're too far beyond that, but um, there's gotta be some happy ground between, you know, just two in the playoffs and getting close to half the league in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, do you go to like, a, you know, at some point in time to, with expansion, do you go to four, Four divisions and then take the top two teams in those. I mean, maybe that's only eight. It's sixteen teams in the playoffs. But least, <laughs> oh
0: my god! You know, well,
1: that'd be about half because you'd expand to thirty-two. I guess. At,
0: at what point, um, uh, honestly? At what point do do we need to scale back the regular season and say, like, okay, let's what well, we can't have MLB playoffs? And and, and this is another thing, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, The NBA always kind of feels like two seasons, like the regular season and then the playoffs, because the playoffs just last for so long. And I kind of feel like the baseball is starting to to feel that way. Um, I I always kind of liked that it was just over quick. It wasn't like NHL or NBA. But uh, if there are 16 teams in the playoffs or 14 teams or whatever, I mean, what are we doing with 162 game regular season? Do they need to scale right. that back to 144 or 154?
1: Uh... Yeah. I think that's the kind of the, the problem, right? And then you're like, you're taking this, I don't want to say gimmick, but it's kind of gimmick baseball because you're only playing, you know, smaller series and you're, you know, it's a short sprint. And you're using that to take away from the marathon that the baseball is to and And you're right they would have to do that and 144 games is still a lot um obviously and or 154 or whatever it might be but still it's kind of again you're already cheapening the regular season with these expanded playoffs and now you're gonna not only cheapen it but reduce it um which is fine i guess if your team is one of the ones in the playoffs but when it's not i mean you're just kind of you know if you're a royals fan i'm sorry but (laughs) You know, also you kind of. I mean, if you if you are a fan, you want to watch your team as much as you can, and you know, to be shortened, shorted twenty games that you are used to, just so somebody can else can make the playoffs. Uh, you know, I would be, I think I would be a little bit frustrated.
0: I think the moral of the story, Daniel, is that there are no good options. This this lovely thing we once called baseball is is forever gone. We're never going to be able to enjoy it like we once did. And uh, we're just going to have to grin and bear it and just accept what they've done to our beautiful, beautiful game. It's fascinating how often – every time you and I get together, <laughs> we
1: hold men on the lawn, you know.
0: This um, is like, not by – it's not even by design, but I was just as like – as I was talking a second ago, I was uh, like a couple minutes ago, I'm like, man, this quickly turned into just like uh, us <laughs> complaining about baseball, like the people who – who complain rightfully uh, often about John Smoltz would really hate this. Yeah, right? <laughs> probably, probably so. Well, let's shift gears and talk about
1: <laughs> a little good. bit more about the actual Cardinals. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was yesterday, I guess it was yesterday, that Adam Wainwright came out using Twitter, which is again, a fascinating thing to see that what, what athletes are doing with Twitter and stuff like that over the last four or five years, right? They can go directly to fans. Not all of them do, and but people like Adam Wainwright, who are obviously very well, I don't know, I don't want to say well-written, but, you know, they've thought this stuff out. They know what they want to say and they want to get it out there. So he's talking about why everything was bad the last month of the year for him. Uh, talked about, a, you know, hit, he had a comebacker against the Braves in, at the end of August and that kind of shortened his... Stride and it took a while, and everything was just shot overall. Basically, um, one, what did you think of Wainwright coming out like that? Two, did that change your opinion or it confirm your opinion of what he's doing next year? Um, and three, a lot of people are taking that as what is the pitching staff doing or the pitching coaching staff doing? Um, how much of that is
0: reasonable to start throwing on Mike Maddox and stuff like that. Okay. So let's start with number one. I thought it was very cool and he's very good at kind of giving a peek behind the curtain at, at things Ooh. like this. I remember several years ago, a couple years ago during some labor strife, um, he really talked about why it was important to stick up for uh, you. Y- you know, not not players like himself who who have already earned a big payday, but kind of the um, the more middle class and lower class, I guess, players. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. Who who might you know never get to that year, never get to free agency or or, or whatever. Um, so I thought it was a really cool use of the medium, as you said, to actually say something. Interesting, useful that I don't think any of us knew. Uh, I didn't even remember him getting hit in the knee in that Atlanta game. I'm trying to remember what I was doing because that seems like something I would remember. Do you remember that? I didn't remember it until I think it was, uh, what's his name? Carter Chapley from the
1: post-dispatch put up a clip of it. And it's just, okay. uh, it's just a, it just, it comes, it hits him off the knee. It bounces off. He picks it up, throws it to first. I think it's one of those things that, you know, I'm sure the trainers came out, he shook them off and kept, pitching i, I yeah. don't think it's one of those things that at the end of the day you're like wow man you know what's wrong with wainwright i think everybody's from went on
0: yes yeah. so, so even if you remembered that you certainly mm-hmm. didn't know the rest of what he was going to say which was a big explanation for how that kind of affected him the rest of the season and a very detailed explanation that even like pitching novices like myself could understand and see And, and kind of goes to show you how something like getting hit in the knee can really change everything. Um, I, I, I played tennis and I don't know how good of a comparison this is, but I feel like it's a good comparison. Serving, I think is a lot like pitching in that there's a lot of things you have to be thinking about and doing correctly when, when, when serving. And if one thing is off, it's going to really like throw off a lot of other things. And that kind of feels Mm -hmm. like what was going on here. Um, Whether or not this was an indication that he's probably coming back. I don't know, but it sort of felt like him saying, Hey, look, I have unfinished business. I was not pleased with how the season ended, as you all know. Um, And, I, I'm not dead. My arm is very much alive. This is what was happening. And this is why I'm, I'm not just coming back out of hubris or because I, I, I want to win two, I I want to like, you know, try to win 200 games, even though I don't have anything left. It sounded more like him saying like, no, I do have something left. This is what was going on. Um, To the third point. I don't know if he does this. Well, I shouldn't say that because I feel like he's very good at Twitter. He's very good on television. So I feel like he knows what he's doing. But I don't know if he totally expected that a lot of people would read this and then say, well, hey, Mike Maddox, what are we paying you (laughs) for? What are you doing? Like, I don't think he – just knowing him, I I don't think he would publicly – try to throw Mike Maddox under a bus like that. So I, right. I don't, I think that was kind of a mistake on his part. And, and, you know, for all I know, he doesn't pay attention to mentions or anything like that. So he might not even know that this kind of led to a lot of people um, kind of questioning Maddox's role in this situation and on the team. I don't know. Um, but it, it did make me wonder, like, Cause I started thinking after I saw, I, I have to be honest when, when I read his tweet thread, that's not where my mind went. I didn't go to Ooh. like, well, heck Mike Maddox, wh- like, what are you doing? Right. I I just, I, I was more just kind of fascinated by what he was saying. I didn't even think about the fact that, yeah, there's probably someone who's getting paid to notice things like that. Um, and part of that is like, I really don't know, you know, I see Mike Maddox sitting on the bench, talking to Ollie Marmal. I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, so I, I guess I should assume that he should be n- noticing that, you know, his stride, his stride length got shorter by almost a foot or whatever it was. He said, um, I guess I should assume that's something Maddox would, would notice if not immediately uh, over time, but I, my mind didn't immediately go there. Maybe that's just because I, I am a novice when it comes to this pitching stuff. Unlike, you know, some of the other people who are opining. So, that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I don't know if it's a huge indictment on the pitching staff or if it's not a big deal because I just don't feel like I'm qualified to answer that last part. Yeah, I think
1: what the way I read this, um, and again, like you, I didn't necessarily jump to Mike Maddox at all, especially because Wayne Wright did a lot about, you know, he says, you know, I didn't stay diligent enough with the film work to catch it immediately um, and things of that nature. But he also says, you know, we fixed it one adjustment at a time. So it sounds like the staff, you know, saw some of this. It just took a, you know, everything got out. So out of whack, they had to fix one thing to fix another thing to fix another thing. And everything was by the time they were done, the season was done. So I don't think it's completely fair to say, you know, Wainwright fixed it all. And the staff didn't ever see that. I I think there's something in there that kind of indicates that they, they might have, but, you know, they probably could have found it faster. I, you know, I just don't know. And, you know, we get to that idea of, you know, how much is analytics being used on the pitching side versus the hitting side. And, you know, all of those corner discussions that we've had, you know, are there, you know, are there gurus on the pitching side that have the, you know, the, the numbers like, like Jeff Albert and stuff does on the hitting side. Um, but yeah, I think that I, I, I didn't go there either. I think that that was not the intent and I don't think it's necessarily completely fair to say that. I, I understand what the people are going with and, and I think there is some blame to do. Um as for him coming back, you know, I've been pretty consistent all year long saying I thought he was not going to come back. Um I just didn't think in fact I wrote about it at the substack this, you know, kind of the pros and cons or the you know, why he would stay, why he would go. Um, but I mean, unless this is just him, like wanting to go out with a clean slate and say like, look, you know, I'm retiring, but it's not because my arm is dead. Um, I think, yeah, I think more than likely this is him just saying when I sign up another contract with the Cardinals, don't get all worked up because it's going to be better than it was.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly hope that's what what it is. I would like to see him back for another year. Um, selfishly, you know, if, if he's ready to retire and spend more time with his family or do or do something else, and I want him to do what obviously he wants to do, but selfishly, um, because I'm a sap, I, I want to see him get all those <laughs> kind of accolades that Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols got from the second half of the season, and you know. So for that to happen, we'll we'll need him to come back. But on the other hand, um, him retiring the same season as Yadier Molina is not the worst thing in the world either. Yeah.
1: Do you think that even if he came back, though, that I don't feel like Adam Wainwright would ever tell you at the beginning of the year that he wasn't coming back the next year? You know what I'm saying? I think he's, you know, (sighs) just because it's like, okay, I think, you know, if he gets to the end of the year and I still feel like I've got, you know, stuff in the arm, I want to leave the option open to come back next year. Um, sure, but
0: I, I think we're reaching an age where retirement has to be imminent. Sure. Um, a, a guy who's, uh, is he going to be in his age 41 season next year? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he turned 41 in the end of August.
1: So okay, yeah, it'll that's be his right. age
0: 41 next year. So I, I mean, he's going to turn, so he'll, he'll be as math works, as I understand it, he'll be 42, uh, by the end of the season. Right. Uh, um, I, it wouldn't shock me if he, if he said, yeah, like at some point, this is going to be my last season. And like, uh, he's, he's a great guy, great teammate, uh, one of my favorite Cardinals of all time, but, I, I don't think he's above. I certainly wouldn't be above it, uh, wanting to get all those kind of like accolades and presents sure. and uh, whatever you, you, know, you get at, at all the different stadiums that you visit. So um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see.
1: Yeah. I mean we'll... – Part of me just feels like, and again, you're right. I'd like to, you know, I'd, I'd like to know that. I've kind of said that, I told Tara, I don't know if we did that on the show or not, but I said, you know, I'd like, would have liked if this was going to be his last year for at least right before that last homestand for him to announce it. So, you know, when the last start is, and um, can really appreciate that. Um You know, that being said, I don't, I just, you know, Adam Wainwright has always been that kind of a, uh, i'll decide at the end of the year type of guy so you know and, and it could be his it could be say he could come back and say look my family says one more year and that's it you know <laughs> and so we're gonna do one more year um because you're right i mean in theory unless he learns how to throw a knuckleball which i don't know that i'd rule out um he's probably only you know got one or two more years in him but you know, given where he was in what 2018 when he walked off the mound in San Diego, the fact that we're still talking about him pitching in 2023 is pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, absolutely. I I remember stupidly thinking um, at the after 2012, um, throughout 2012, like you know m- maybe he's not going to recover from Tommy, you know, from mm-hmm. he's not going to fully be what he was after this Tommy John surgery. Which was yeah. obviously very silly because 2013 and 2014 turned out to be two of the best seasons um, of his career, and 2015, although he only pitched uh, about a month, he was amazing. I, I think people forget that he was amazing. Mm-hmm. That what, what did he have? Six starts? Five starts? I don't remember. Uh, five is right there. probably probably six, but I'll look it up real quick and see. But if, if I recall, he was pitching better than he had his entire career. Again, just a couple starts. Four starts that year. Okay.
1: Because he only, only pitched in seven games, which I had forgotten. I thought he came back. I knew he came back at the end of the year and pitched out a relief, but it felt like he had pitched more than that. Um, but they were working him up because it was that was the year that if the Cardinals had gone another round, they probably let him pitch, right? He was he was working his way up to actually being a, uh, a starter again. Yeah, first four starts, again, that's kind of the one he left an injury. 144 ERA, 18 strikeouts,
0: three walks in 25 innings. I'm curious so, to look at his splits, um, to just look at his stats from those four starts, because, again, from what I recall, he was he was awesome and, but and, and not as great when he, when he came back. So yeah, as I, right, well, okay. So as a starter, he threw 25 innings. He had a 1.44 mm-hmm. 4 ERA, um, walked three batters over those 25 innings, struck out 18. Um, so yeah, the, my, my memory is not incorrect. He was, he was very good. Yep. 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 Very strong. Um, you know, Did not I, allow I, I, a
1: home run that season. Yeah. That's uh, that's always a good thing. Um, you know, I I don't know. Again, if he thinks, it, it, given that he feels like they made the adjustments and it wasn't really a dead arm, it was more of this delivery issue. I mean, I can understand why he would come back and say this is what he's got, and he very well may be able to do that. Um, There comes that risk, of course, though, at this age, that anytime you come back, the results might not be so pretty. I mean, again, we're talking, you know, it's kind of like Albert, right? Albert in June was thinking about retiring because nothing was going right for him. Obviously, he figured it out, thankfully, and we gave us a second half that we'll never forget. But, you know, if Wainwright comes back next year and then puts up a, you know, Four and a half to five ERA going into mid May. You know, what does that do for the team? What is, you know, I mean, again, he's in a situation where it's do you take out a Wainwright out of the rotation? I guess they did with Bob Gibson. So if they can do it with Gibson, they can do it with Wainwright. But um, there's a lot of mine, you know, landmines that are out there if, if Wainwright comes back. But, you know, if he's as pitches as well as he can, as he has the last two or three years, then you avoid all those.
0: I, I have another thing I would like to bring up, Daniel, okay. if you don't mind. The uh absolutely not. It is, is ten forty-five my time on uh Friday night PM. The Dodgers and Padres are in the middle of the are in the top of the fifth inning. Mm. This game started well over two hours ago. Are we sure this is a sport we want to keep watching? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it, and it's, it's two to one.
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's what's really amazing. This is it's not, not it's not like uh, you know nine to six or something like that. Uh, and that kind of goes to, uh, to to get back on the you know old men strength. You know these rule changes for next year that are supposed to help speed things up, but they're also supposed to help increase offense when you get rid of the shift. And, you know is it going to be able to balance out? Probably still works. I mean, I know the pitch clock has worked very well in the minors and you probably save enough with that to offset, you know, a few more singles and a few more stolen bases and things of that nature. But you know, how, how much Well, I think that's going to be very interesting to see, you know, if they don't wind up trading one problem for another.
0: Yeah, and I'm actually in favor of a lot of the changes they're bringing about next season. Um, the bigger bases, I, I, I don't know what to think about that, but it sounds like something like they wouldn't be implementing if they didn't have reason to believe it's going to be helpful. And what I like about it is it's, no one's going to notice. So if, if anything can help that no one even notices, that's always a good thing. And the yeah. pitching clock, which I will notice, I think will, I will, I'll not only notice it aesthetically, but I think I'll notice it hopefully in terms of uh, just speeding up pace of play because no, no one was ever complaining about baseball games taking a long time when um, just in and and of themselves, the the complaint was no baseball. The complaint was there's not enough baseball. There's games taking four hours, but very little baseball. That, that's that's the problem. Um, I I I think most people would agree that a, a game, a, a game that goes long for whatever reason, can be fun to watch when there's a lot of things going on, but not as fun to watch, not fun to watch at all when it's just uh, not many balls put in play, a lot of, you know, stepping out of the box, whatever. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean. As I said at the time, baseball's done enough stuff to mess with the game that the (laughs) stuff that they're doing now just doesn't really register. Um, It's not very high on the list for the most part. Um, But we'll see how how it works out. We've got a couple minutes left, and you know, there's really not much yet to talk about the Cardinals' future uh, and what they're going to do this offseason because they're still weeks away from really getting into that. Um, but we should probably take a minute, talk a little bit about the Cardinal past today. Um, kind of out of the blue, at least it sounded, it felt like, uh, Cardinals announced the passing of Bruce Suter, a hall of fame reliever, uh, obviously finished in the 82 world series for the Cardinals. Um, a, uh, you know, a guy that had been around, we've seen him in the red jackets. Um, just, a uh, apparently he'd been sick for a little bit. I know that I saw, uh, you know, Whitey Herzog went, saw him because he had heard that he would been ill this week. Um, but overall a bit of a surprise to lose Bruce Suter at 69.
0: Totally. I had no idea he was ill. I saw someone mention that he wasn't at the 82 celebration earlier this year. Um, probably because of the illness, uh, you know, I I have no actual memories of him playing mm-hmm. for the Cardinals uh, because I was just a little bit too young. He was just slightly before my time. My I have two distinctive memories of him from, not memories, but two images that come into my mind when I think of Bruce Suter playing, at least um, the first uh believe it or not is is kind of like a bad Bruce suitor moment and you might even know what I'm about to say but I always think of him when I think of that famous Ryan Sandberg game mm-hmm. uh, that that people talk about a lot because I know he was on the mound when he gave up that home run to Ryan Sandberg uh, but much better I the other image I, I always think of I always think of when I think of Bruce Suter is Suter from the belt to the plate, a swing and a miss. And that's a winner, uh, an amazing call by Jack, uh, Buck. Yeah. An amazing privilege honor to be able to close out a world series like he did, um, like he deserved to, cause he was one of the, the best closers from, from that generation. And I think, as I said, I said today, I, I have that call just, in my brain, partly because of this podcast. Cause you used to, you all you used to close out every show with that call and I loved it so much. And also just from all the videos I've, I've watched from, from that time. So he was only a Cardinal for four years. So I, d- I don't quite have the same sort of connection with him as I did other Cardinals who, even though I didn't see them play like Lou Brock or Bob Gibson, um, even something like red Shandy's uh, it's still so cool to be able to be that guy who's throwing the last pitch of a season. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's pretty
0: remarkable to,
1: you know, and you know, the, the line that we've seen of that, you know, from him to Wainwright to Mott um, it, it's pretty, pretty interesting fraternity to, to have there yeah um, So yeah, it's, yeah, you're kind of right. I've, I was, I'm a little bit older than you, but it still didn't really get a chance to see him as a Cardinal. Um, Probably had him as a brave on a lot lot of baseball cards and things of that nature. Um, And being that he was on what, four teams, three or four teams um, makes it a little bit harder to, you know, just lock him down as, as a Cardinal to some degree. But there's no doubt i mean he was a big part of the the teams that were that were iconic um in st louis and you're know, like you said to finish out a world series is pretty remarkable so you know thoughts and prayers to his family and, and friends and everybody of the, in that nature um it's been as, as people have pointed out it's it's been a bit of a rough stretch for cardinals and their legends You know, I've lost a number of them over the last three or four years. Not so much because, and Suter doesn't fit this description as well, but, you know, a lot of those guys are from, you know, teams of the 40s and 50s and 60s. And they're just, you know, they're getting older, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to start losing those kind of guys. Um, And there's, you know, a kind of a next wave coming up with. Pujols and Yachty and, you know, even Edmonds and Roland and and, and that crew from the, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. But, you know, it's very sad. It's very kind of strange to think about, you know, some of these, you know, really iconic people from the Cardinal history then
0: passing on. Absolutely. And it- you brought up something that reminded me. So I also had a lot of Bruce Suter baseball cards, uh, most of which were from the Braves because uh, he was still with the Braves at, you know, mm-hmm. at a time when I was collecting in real time. A few from the Cardinals that I could find. And what I remember about Bruce Suter is I, I think he and Lee Smith were the first pitchers I remember associating with the save. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think partly because Suter, you looked at the back of Bruce Suter's cards and you remember this, they would italicize uh, tops would at least they would italicize if if you led the league in that stat and in the save column, he had like four or five years in a row where they were all italicized. And because of when I first got into baseball cards and stuff like that and stats, he was the first guy I really associated with the save him and Lee, Lee Smith. And, and then they kind of handed that, I would say, over to Dennis Eckersley, who held it for a very long time until, mm-hmm. I, I would say almost till, till Mariano. Yeah, I would
1: think so. I mean, just in the, the culture and mindset, I, w- I would go from there. Yeah, Suter led the league in 79, uh, 80, 81, 82, and 84 in saves. Okay. So Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right you were well, it's interesting I, he he only played for three teams i i knew that he played for the cubs and the braves and the cardinals i for some reason thought there was another one it mixed in there um he was a cub for five years cardinal for four and brave for three um missed the 87 year i guess with injury um but it, it, you know that's interesting you know what that's 12 years uh, which is a, a long career. It's a good career, but y- you almost feel like some of those, you know, a guy with the, the name recognition of a guy like Bruce Suter has probably played longer than that, but he was very effective when he did
0: play. Absolutely. And, you know, anytime someone can spend almost equal time with the Cubs and Cardinals makes a hall of fame and they choose to wear the Cardinals. Uh, hat. <laughs> that elevates them even to a higher level. So uh, God bless Bruce Suter. That's right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I know the off season has hit and our schedule, our recording schedule will be a little bit more sporadic. In fact, I know Alan and I are both kind of out of pocket next week. So it'll be a couple of weeks before we get back to it. Um, Plenty of off season stuff to talk about. I am sure, but until next time for Alex, I'm Daniel. Good night.
0: Good night. Shooter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals.